Judges chapter six. Picking up in verse, well, let's do verse 17 and then we'll skip down. Verse 17, so Gideon said to him, if now I have found favor in your sight, then show me a sign that it is you who speak with me. Verse 36, then Gideon said to God, if you will deliver Israel through me as you have spoken, behold, I will put a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there is dew on the fleece only, and it is dry on all the ground, then I will know that you will deliver Israel through me as you have spoken. And it was so. When he arose early the next morning and squeezed the fleece, he drained the dew from the fleece, a bowl full of water. Then Gideon said to God, do not let your anger burn against me that I may speak once more. Please, let me make a test once more with the fleece. Let it now be dry only on the fleece and let there be dew on all the ground. God did so that night. For it was dry only on the fleece and dew was on all the ground. Father, thank you for your word. These are so much more, Lord, than, than simply stories for us to enjoy or consider. Lord, this is instruction, and I thank you for the instruction of your word. We recognize, Lord, the goal of our instruction is love. So first and foremost, we pray that we will come out of this with, with hearts full of love for you, for one another. But Lord, we come to you this morning desiring to hear from you. Lord, some come this morning seeking signs. Some have made requests to you. Others have in the past, some may yet in the future. Some come before you struggling with the whole idea of signs and wonders. And so I pray, Father, by your word that you would instruct us this morning with the goal being love. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, Judges chapter six. Let me catch you up real quickly. If you weren't here on Wednesday night, we meet the next guardian, Gideon. Gideon the guardian, I like that. Gideon is the next one, he is that hack who Jesus called a valiant warrior. Now I just called him a hack, yes I did, because Gideon's name, Gidon, means hacker. It means hewer. So one who hacks, or we could just call him Gideon the hack. But the angel of the Lord, when he finds Gideon, he finds him beating out wheat in a wine press. Not on a threshing floor, which as we talked about midweek, normally is in a higher place where breezes could come across and blow away the chaff. No, instead he is down in a wine press, keeping a low profile to avoid the marauding Midians, or Midianites. The Midianites who were a terror, who were a threat to the land, who came in from the outside and they raised the land like locusts and they left and they would come back and do it again and then leave. And so Gideon is in somewhat of a fearful place when the Lord finds him, but the Lord called him Gibor Hayil, which is a valiant warrior. And it's really a comical moment because here's this guy hiding out. And he's beating out the wheat, not in the normal place, but in a hidden place, in a safer place, looking all around, no doubt, for fear. And the Lord says, greetings, O valiant warrior. Because the Lord always sees us not as we are, but as we will be. Sees us as we should be. 
sees us as holy, as pure, even as mighty. He looks at Gideon and he sees a mighty warrior, an intrepid champion. And we'll find that Gideon becomes just that. God sees the potential of a man who when set in the strength of of his might, truly becomes mighty. Isaiah chapter 40 verse 29 tells us that he gives strength to the weary and to him who lacks might, he increases power. This is what God does. Though youths grow weary and tired and vigorous young men stumble badly, yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. Strength to run, strength to not be weary. The Lord increases strength. The Lord gives strength to the weary. Philippians 4.13, Paul carries out the thought, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. But something we learn about Gideon very quickly is that this valiant warrior needs encouragement. This this mighty champion needs reinforcement. This intrepid fighting man needs reassurance. Don't you? Don't you? It's so easy to sit in commentary of the Bible and look at these different individuals and think, well, come on, Gideon, show some faith. I'm sorry, but the mightiest among us needs the encouragement of the Lord. We need from time to time the reassurance that we are walking the path that he has for us to know beyond the shadow of a doubt. Yes, we come to him by faith, but he assures that faith with blessed assurance as the old hymn goes. He strengthens faith. He builds up our most holy faith. And he does so often by showing us this door or that door, by closing this door and opening that window. The Lord gives signs. Look back at verse 17 in the chapter. Gideon said to him, if now I have found favor in your sight, then show me a sign that it is you who speak to me. I wanna know that it's you, Lord. Please do not depart from here until I come back to you and bring out my offering, my minkat, and lay it before you. And he said, I will remain until you return. Well, then Gideon went in and prepared a young goat and unleavened bread from an ephah of flour, and he put meat in a basket and the broth in a pot, and he brought them out to him under the oak and presented them. Now, that kills me. In verse 19, do you realize he just prepared an entire meal? Hang on a second, let me grab us a bite to eat, and he goes and prepares a lamb. We are so used to fast food. This is nothing like fast food. Gideon takes his time to give his best and he brings it out, the lamb and the the bread. He bakes bread for crying out loud, how long did this take? I think people had a whole lot more time then than we do right now. We have all these devices and, and contraptions to try and make life easier for us and make things go slower and we just run all the harder. Sometimes God's just saying, why don't we pause for a minute? So Gideon goes and he makes these things and he brings them out to the Lord. Verse 20, the angel of God said to him, take the meat and the unleavened bread, lay them on this rock and pour out the broth. And he did so. And then the angel of the Lord put out the end of the staff that was in his hand and touched the meat and the unleavened bread. And fire sprang up from the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened bread. And then the angel of the Lord vanished from his sight. Signs. Show me a sign, Lord. 
I need to know that this is you, God. Now, we've talked about the angel of the Lord many times, but I, recall, I remind you, this is the invisible God in visible form. This is what scholars call a Christophany. This is Jesus. Hey, Jesus did the same exact thing at the dinner table in Emmaus in Luke chapter 24, verse 31, right? When the bread was broken, he vanished from their sight. So we're seeing a parallel here in this picture, but in the story before us, I want you to understand to see that Gideon asked for a sign and the Lord gave it to him three times. Three times. Lord, give me a sign, and he gives it. Lord, give me a sign, and he gives it. Lord, I hate to be impertinent, but give me a sign, and he gives it. Speaking of signs, here are some actual road signs on the highways and byways of America. You can find these if you're driving along. One that says, caution, water on road during rain. <laughs> caution, tree in center of road. Shouldn't that just read like, keep right? <laughs> I don't know. Or how about this? Keep right, but the arrow's pointing left. What do you do with that? Caution, blasting zone. Shouldn't that say detour? <laughs> We're going into a blasting zone, hang on. <laughs> Touching wires causes instant death, $200 fine. <laughs> Here's a good one, parking prohibited. And then underneath it, it says parking will be fine. Fine, well, I think forgot the D, fine. Yeah, the next one, very classic, school crossing, but it's spelled S-H-C-O-O-L. School crossing. And then you've seen this one, slow children playing. Clearly they go to school. Slow men working. Hey, they were children once. And then I love this one, absolutely nothing for the next 22 miles. You know, a lot of people go through life that way. They go through life with absolutely nothing. Not Gideon, not Gideon. Again, three times he asked for a sign. Three times God honors the request without qualification, without condemnation. So the question before us when we come to chapter six, when we come to Gideon is, is it okay to ask for a sign? Is it a lack of faith to seek signs from the Lord? Hmm. Gideon has taken a lot of heat from commentators for being faithless. Commentators who, by the way, weren't there for being faithless, for asking for signs, for not just trusting wholeheartedly in the Lord. I read the story of Gideon, and one of the things I love about the story is how much I relate to Gideon. Because I do that. And if you don't, well, God bless your holy faith but I ask him, show me. I need to know this is you. Confirm for me, would you, Lord? Problem is that Deuteronomy 6.16 says, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Matthew chapter four, verse five, the devil took Jesus into the holy city, had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he'll command his angels concerning you. And on their hands, they will bear you up so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him, on the other hand, 
you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. James 1.13, where James says, let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. And the challenge is that this word for test is the same word for tempt. In Hebrew, it's nasah. Nasah is to test or to tempt. It depends on the context. In the Greek, the same word, pyrazo, is to test or to tempt, and it depends on the context. So the only way you can know if the word means testing someone or tempting someone is the context of the story, of the event, of the occurrence. Discernment here is needed. Discernment is needed, which is why I wanted to talk about this. How do we discern what is okay, what is not okay? When am I putting God to the test versus asking for confirmation. And can I ask at all? Gideon was not the first one to ask for signs, nor was he the first to be given signs, nor would he be the last in biblical history. Genesis 24, verse 12. We read the story of Abraham sending his servant Eliezer, which means helper. Father sends his servant to find a bride for his son in Genesis 24. And he sends Eliezer to find a bride for Isaac. Eliezer, in looking for a bride for Isaac, stops and he asks for a sign. And through the process of asking for a sign and getting a sign, he finds Rebecca for Isaac. 1 Samuel 14, verse six, Jonathan wants to know if he and his armor bearer should take on the Philistines. Should we go fight up against them? He asked the Lord for a sign, and when he gets it, he attacks the Philistines victoriously. Asking for a sign, receiving a sign, God doesn't say anything about that being inappropriate for Abraham, for Jonathan, here for Gideon. And in fact, the Lord himself invites King Ahaz of Judah to ask for a sign. Why don't you take a look at that for a minute? Isaiah chapter seven. Turn your Bibles over to Isaiah chapter seven. I'll give you just a minute to get there. Isaiah falls right about to the middle. I know I say that every time we go to Isaiah. I just want you to find it quickly. Isaiah chapter seven. Verse 10, Isaiah 7, verse 10, then the Lord spoke again to Ahaz, saying, ask a sign for yourself from the Lord your God. Make it deep as Sheol or high as heaven. In other words, Ahaz, ask me anything. Let's make this big. Let's make this impressive. Whatever you want, as big as you want, as impressive as you want, ask me for a sign. But Ahaz says, I will not ask, nor will I test the Lord And then he said, listen now, O house of David, is it too slight a thing for you to try the patience of men that you will try the patience of my God as well? God is irritated that Ahaz will not ask for a sign. Why? It's a heart problem. Ahaz is sitting there in his own self-righteousness. I will not ask for a sign. I don't need a sign. And in this arrogant self-righteousness, he refuses and God says, Ahaz, you're testing my patience by not asking. 
By not saying, ask for a sign or not asking for a specific one. And so what does the Lord do? He reaches 715 years beyond this king to give one of the greatest signs that history has ever seen. Verse 14, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son and she will call his name Emmanuel. So I won't ask the Lord for a sign. Fine, I'm gonna give you one anyway. A virgin will be with child. I love how the critics try to go at scripture. Well, the word virgin can, can be, you know, can just be maiden. Okay, so a maiden will be with child. That's not a sign, right? That happens all the time. Women get pregnant, they give birth. And you might say, oh, he's a little miracle. Give him a few years. <laughs> this is no sign. It is only a sign of it's something miraculous, something that hasn't happened. A, a virgin, he says. And by the way, the word virgin that is repeated in the New Testament is unquestionably a virgin. A virgin will be with child. Now that, my friends, is a sign. <laughs> only God could do something like that. And you will call his name Emmanuel, with Matt, which Matthew tells us means God with us. This is big. This is huge. By the way, you Bible students know this. The advents of Jesus, the comings of Jesus, first, as the suffering servant, and second, soon I might add, as the glorious king, were and are preceded by hundreds of signs. Of his first coming, someone asked me the other week, how many actual signs do we know? How many prophecies did Jesus fulfill in his first coming? And we know it's over 300. I have counted as many as 351. 351 prophecies of the first coming of Jesus, and he fulfilled every single one of them absolutely explicitly. In fact, 27 in one day. And they say that for one person to fulfill eight prophecies in their lifetime, the odds of that, the chances are one to 10 in the 17th power. In other words, impossible. Jesus fulfilled all of these prophecies, these signs. By the way, of his return, there's another 1,845 prophecies. Signs. Why? God puts the signs along the way that we might not miss him that we would know the way to go. And by the way, when it comes to the human heart, Proverbs 25, verse two says, it is the glory of God to conceal a matter, but the glory of kings is to search out a matter, which is why in the book of Acts, the Bereans were called noble because they searched everything out by the scriptures. They dug in, they sought to see, is this the Lord? Is this God's word? Clearly, God wants us to follow the signs, to see the signs as he presents them, and then to follow. By the way, listen to Jesus. Turn in your Bibles now over to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew 16 in the New Testament. And we're kind of flipping back and forth because this has become an issue in the church. There are those who would never ask for a sign. There's the King Ahaz mentality which says, oh, I wouldn't do that, I'm much too righteous. That's a bad attitude. And then there are those who say, well, I wouldn't want to do that. I wouldn't want to appear as faithless. And that's a misguided attitude. But then there are those who they see a sign under every rock. Something wrong there too. 
And there are those who are saying, if you're God, give me a sign. Prove it. And that is a hard heart. That's what Jesus is dealing with in Matthew chapter 16, verse two. He replied to them, these are the Pharisees who are there, he's talking with them. When it is evening, you say it will be fair weather for the sky is red. And in the morning, there will be a storm today for the sky is red and threatening. Do you know how to discern the appearance of the sky but cannot discern the signs of the times An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign and a sign will not be given it except the sign of Jonah and he left them and went away. Jesus is saying to the Pharisees, dudes, I don't know if he said dudes, but I I can imagine. The signs are everywhere and you're not looking. The signs are all around you. You're not paying any attention. I believe the storm is coming. I believe that we're living in the times of the signs about which Jesus himself gave multiple precursors that he calls birth pangs. Multiple things that we can look at in scripture. By the way, don't play conspiracy theories. Don't look for every little thing, weird, bizarre things. There's all kinds of teaching out there and weird stuff, but you can focus in on what Jesus said and you can know pretty clearly we are in the times of the signs and these are the last days. In fact, I think the end of the last days, simply looking at what Jesus himself said. Mark 13, Matthew 24, Luke 21, check it out. So there's all kinds, there are all kinds of signs out there. But Jesus also said, an evil and perverse generation, a sin-craving generation that is evil and adulterous seeks after a sign. So we need to think this through. Some more verses as we process. God said in Malachi chapter three, verse 10, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so there may be food in my house and test me now in this. There's one where God says, put me to the test. Trust me, bring your tithe, see if I'll take care of you. And he always does. And then 1 Thessalonians chapter five, verse 19, Paul says, do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophetic utterances, but examine, that is, test everything carefully. So that's not putting God to the test, but it is certainly putting spirits to the test, testing the spirit of a brother or sister in Christ, testing the spirit of a pastor, testing the spirit that would encourage you to go one direction or another. Put it to the test. Examine carefully, but don't quench the work of the Holy Spirit. 1 John chapter 4, verse 1, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. And so John is very clear when he says test the spirits, he's talking about the spirits of people, of false teachers, of human beings. Test it. Test what you're taught. And I hope you do that even this morning. By this you know the Spirit of God, that every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. By the way, in answer to anyone who would say, you guys do Christmas carols during worship in the Christmas season? Yes, we do. You know why? Because we are declaring that Jesus Christ came in the flesh. And that is a part of our worship. To declare Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, this is from God, the Bible says. But there's a difference between Testing in distrust and 
seeking confirmation in discernment. A vast difference between the two. Listen, when seeking a sign, the issue is not asking for a sign, the issue is the heart. The issue is the heart. Talking to my, my brother Bryce this morning about fasting a little bit, and he, he was saying, what do you think about fasting? What does the Bible say about fasting? And I'll tell you what the Bible says about fasting in one word, heart. God says, I am not interested in your fasts if you're just trying to do it to prove how special you are. But if it's a matter of the heart, then a fast is wholly acceptable by the Lord. If you're seeking a sign from God with a heart to follow Jesus, well, that's one thing. That's discernment. That's asking for confirmation. If you're just asking for signs, saying, God, you prove yourself. You prove yourself to me. Well, I would call that an ungodly confrontation. I'll give you some things to jot down if you're a note taker. In fact, I'll give you a couple of different lists this morning, one that we'll work through and then one at the very end that we're just gonna blaze through. But number one, an ungodly confrontation. And that's what happens when there are those who are asking God to prove himself. Not that he's there or present or engaged in something with you, but prove, prove that you're God. Just prove. Matthew chapter six, verse one. The Pharisees and Sadducees came up and testing Jesus, they asked him to show them a sign from heaven. That is the same thing that the devil was asking of Jesus during the temptations. If you're the son of God, if you're Messiah, well then give us a sign, prove it, let's see it. You know, the devil's saying to Jesus, go big or go home, jump off the temple, make a big splash, come on, prove yourself, give me a sign. And that's an evil and adulterous heart that asks for a sign that way. Isaiah 35, verse five. So, so think about this, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, they come to Jesus, show us a sign. A sign from heaven, in fact, the phrase, a sign from heaven, what they're asking is show us that you're Messiah. Give us a heavenly sign to validate what you're teaching, what you're doing, what you're saying. What are they asking for here? What do they mean a heavenly sign? They're thinking probably, at least prophetically, of Isaiah. Isaiah 35, verse five, the eyes of the blind will be opened, the ears of the deaf will be unstopped, the lame will leap like a deer, the tongue of the mute will shout, for joy, give us a sign, give us something messianic so that, so that we'll know that it's you. Here's the problem. What had just happened? Messiah had just shown massive signs fulfilling Isaiah 35, massive messianic healings. If you go back one chapter to Matthew chapter 15 and look at verse 30, it says large crowds came to him, bringing with them those who were lame, crippled, blind, mute, and many others. They laid them down at his feet and he healed them. We don't even know how many healings took place in that day. But clearly, tons of people were just showing up to Jesus, and it was just like he opened up the emergency room. He's just healing people and sending them out. Healing people and sending them out. A remarkable show of the signs of Isaiah, the signs fulfilling prophecy, the mute speaking, the lame are leaping like the deer, the, the deaf, they, they, they can hear, and the blind can see, and Jesus is doing all of this. He had just been doing all of this. Show us a sign. Where have you been? And if that weren't enough, 
After this massive healing in verse 30, if you read on down through the chapter, you find out that Jesus served up the second sprawling luncheon of his ministry, feeding 4,000 people this time compliments of the Christos uncanny catering service. Amazing signs, and that one especially, feeding the 5,000, primarily Jews, feeding the 4,000 in primarily Gentile territory. What is Jesus doing? It's like manna from heaven. Heavenly signs that he is who he says he is. Another time, back before this, when Jesus healed a man with a withered hand, this is back in Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12, verse 15 Jesus was aware that after healing this man that the Pharisees were angry about it. It's it's remarkable. He was aware of this and he withdrew from there and many followed him and he healed them all. Which by implication, that happens right after he heals a man with a withered hand on Sabbath and then he left there and a bunch of people followed him and he healed them all too, I'm thinking on Sabbath. Just massive healing because when you come to Jesus, he brings rest. And he did it on that day. But in verse 38 of Matthew chapter 12, it says, some of the scribes and Pharisees said to him, teacher, we wanna see a sign from you. And he says, an evil and adulterous generation craves for a sign and yet no sign will be given it but the sign of Jonah the prophet. And then he explains, for as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the sea monster, so the son of man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And that, by the way, is the sign. The sign that that generation needed to see more than any other. And by the way, it's the sign this generation needs more than any other. We don't need big miraculous healings. People need to see the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ as real. That's the gospel. That's the sign that this generation desperately needs. Because Paul said, if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. But the hearts that cynically cry, prove it, prove it to me, they tend to be the same hearts that scoff when the evidence is clearly presented right before their eyes. And so I come back to what I said before, it's a heart problem. It's a heart problem. Asking for a sign to prove the veracity of this thing, to prove Jesus is God, rather than seeking confirmation for the leading of the Lord. Two very different things. You want tangible, uh, physical, evidentiary proof of God in this day and in this age? Romans 1, verse 20, since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen. You want a sign? Paul says they're understood through what has been made so the people are without excuse. Even though they knew God, they didn't honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened, professing to be wise, they became fools. I'm driving over here this morning, it's gray, it's cold outside, and I'm marveling at yet again the seasonal changes that remind me of the glory of God of the beauty of his creation. People who say, well, I hate winter in the Northwest. Well, first of all, move. But secondly, (laughs) 
It declares the glory of God. We can talk an awful lot, and, and you know, sadly, sometimes we do, about how messed up this world is. It is. Human sin run rampant, problems, an adulterous generation, foolishness, it's all there, it's all happening. But you know what? This is a beautiful world. This is a marvelous planet, an astounding universe. It is overwhelming when you begin to just look at nature and the created nature that God put into place and you stop for a moment and think, how can I not believe in God? When the testimony is all around me, it's like Jesus with the miracles. Here are the signs. He's healing people right and left. He's feeding people and they, get, and they say, show us a sign. And it's the same thing today. When the miracles, when the wonder, when, when the creation's all around us and people look at it and go, you know, whatever, show me a sign. One season changing into the next is an awesome sign of order and the creation of God. But we live in an evil and adulterous and yes, a foolish generation where people argue against God. Why? It's a smokescreen to their own lifestyle choices. I can't believe in God and do what I wanna do. Therefore, I'm gonna argue against God so I can do what I wanna do. And that is a darkened heart because that person knows my heart would be offensive to him, so I am gonna reject him. And it's tragic. It's an ungodly confrontation. That's what we see with the Pharisees. By the way, ungodly confrontations, let me just tell you, brothers and sisters in Christ, ungodly confrontations are largely a waste of your time. And I, I wanna say this in a way that, that, that please hear my heart in this. Our job as followers of Jesus Christ is to bring the gospel into this world. But if someone wants to just argue with you, you are wasting your time. Your time would be much better spent rather than arguing with that person sitting by the Christmas tree about their foolishness and their atheism, your time would be much better spent loving them, being kind to them, and interceding for them. Because the power is in the prayer. By the way, if you're having people over for the holidays, and we always mention this every year, every church I've ever been in says, you have opportunities in the holidays. Well, you do, you do. How about preparing before the family even shows up by praying ahead of time? By interceding, Lord, soften the heart of my brother, soften the heart of my sister, of my mother, my father, my aunt, or my uncle. Soften their hearts, open a window so that we can talk about you this season when we're all gathered together. Intercession is the power, far more effective for softening the heart than going to head to head in an ungodly confrontation. Well, what about Gideon? Go back to Gideon. The only way to really know what he was thinking would be to climb inside his head, and we can't do that this morning. But I'll tell you what, God knew what he was thinking. God knows the heart. And so what we see in the story of Gideon is what I'm gonna call, number two, a godly confirmation. Not an ungodly confrontation, but a godly confirmation, looking back at verse 17 again, Gideon said to him, if now I have found favor in your sight, then show me a sign that it is you who speak with me. And I shared this Wednesday, I love that Gideon wants to know God. He wants to know Jesus. 
And throughout their relationship, and it's an amazing dynamic relationship, the next three chapters, Gideon is always interacting with the angel of the Lord almost as you would a dear friend because he wants to know him. This is a very personal guardian, more personal than any of the guardians, any of the judges that we have seen so far. But he says, I just need to know it's you who's speaking with me, and man, I can relate to that. I've told the story so many times, but September 2nd of 2003, when I didn't know where I was headed, what I was supposed to do, I had a calling on my life that goes back to the age of 16 to be a pastor, to, to teach the Bible, to be in ministry. I knew it since then. I didn't always, in fact, I've rarely known exactly what that meant, where I was to go, what I was supposed to do. But on that day, out fishing with my dear friend Andrew, I heard the Lord say, would you be willing to plant a church on North Whidbey Island? I heard that loud and clear, as clear as if we were talking right now. That's what I heard. Well, I don't think you heard it. Well, you weren't there. <laughs> but it was so weird, and, and you need to know where my uh, very, you know, un-Pentecostal heart, at least at the time, less, my, my heart at the time, I was like, no way. No way that was... Why would I ask myself that question? And I'm like, Lord, is it you? was that you? I can't tell you how many times I asked, was that you? Just in the first week. And what I said was, Lord, if it's you, I need to know this is you. I don't wanna go off and do something foolish or do something that's of my own mind. If it's me, I don't wanna do it. If it's you, I'll do it. Is it you? See, the heart is more deceitful than all else and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Jeremiah 17, verse nine. I don't trust my heart. So if I get some kind of idea that I think is from the Lord, I want it confirmed. Because otherwise, I'm going off half Rick. You know, I, I'm just, I'm gonna, I'm gonna mess it up. I, I need to know, Lord, it's, it's you. And this is what Gideon's saying. If it's you, let me know and you know, it, well, I'm, I'm gonna get ahead of myself. Let me, let me hold that. So he says, I need a sign to know this. And then again, Gideon is gonna ask. He asks a total of three times for confirmation. The first time is right here in verse 17. The second time is in verses 36 through 38. And then the third time, the last time, is verses 39 and 40. He continues to ask for a sign. And what I believe is going on here with Gideon is discernment that this young man wants to know the will of God. Is this you? Is this truly your will? After the first sign request, note what Gideon does, he makes an offering of worship. An offering of worship. Where do you get worship, Rick? Well, where he says, my offering, the word in Hebrew is mincha. And mincha is a worship offering. The Jewish people today will talk about bringing their mincha and it's bringing their offering of worship. So he makes a worship offering. Wait a minute, he asks for a sign, but he says, hold on, I, I wanna worship first. And he goes back and he, he prepares the lamb and he bakes the bread and he makes the broth and he brings it all out and pours it out before the Lord, sets it before him as an offering. This is a worshipful offering. We can infer that his heart is in the right place. I need to know but let me worship you. By the way, there's a great principle there I'll come back to. But Hebrews chapter 11 tells us something about the heart of Gideon and was it in the right place or the wrong place? 
Hebrews chapter 11, verse 32, we've seen the verse with other judges. What more shall I say? Time will fail me if I tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets who by faith conquered kingdoms, performed righteousness, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, from weakness were made strong, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight, Hebrews 11, 32 through 34, and then down in verse 39, it also says, and all these, having gained approval through their faith, did not receive what was promised. Gideon trusted. Gideon had faith to go forward. He asked for confirmation of that faith. And even in the immediate moment, before, before he gets confirmation, he gives his minchat, his offering. He worships. My friends, it takes some degree of faith to offer worship before you even have a confirmation. And this is Gideon. Now, some people will grant Gideon a little favor there in verses 17 through 20. They'll go, okay, he shows a little bit of faith there. We'll give that to him. But when they get down to the fleece, they fault him with a bad lack of faith. They say, Gideon, come on, what are you putting out the fleece for? Verse 34. Think about what happened before he does so. It says, the spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. And he blew a trumpet, and the obvious rites were called together to follow him. And he sent messengers throughout Manasseh, and they also were called together to follow him. And he sent messengers from Asher, Zebulun, and Naphtali, and they also came up to meet with him before he asked for the second of the three signs. Get this, number three in your notes, we see a holy spiritual clothing. Don't miss what just happened here. The Holy Spirit has come upon Gideon. That phrase came upon, in verse 34, lobsa, means to be clothed. Gideon, verse 34, is now clothed with the Spirit of the Lord. Lobsa, it also means put on a garment. I like that. In the moment here, the garment of the Holy Spirit is over Gideon. He is clothed before he puts out the first fleece which again should tell us something about his state of mind, where he is at. Galatians 3.27 says, for all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. I always loved that. I remember as a kid, I heard that before I got baptized, the age of 10. I heard that verse and went, that's what I want. I wanna put on Jesus. I wanna wear Jesus. I wanna be clothed, covered in Jesus. Romans 13, 14, Paul says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lusts. Now, some have argued even this point, I've known spirit-filled people who showed a great lack of faith. I mean, none of us here, but others, right? Holy Spirit filled, baptized in the Spirit, walking in the Spirit, and then they do something completely faithless, and you go, I thought you were like one of those Spirit-filled people. You can still blow it. Listen, just because I've been clothed with Christ and bear his Spirit doesn't mean I automatically know every nuance of his will. I'm still asking. I'm still praying. 
I'm still following, I'm still seeking. He still has us on that path of sanctification. Yes, filled with his spirit, his spirit coming alongside us, his spirit upon us, and yet he still says, but I want you to pray. I want you to ask, I want you to seek my will. And so we do so, and in so doing, I believe asking for divine confirmation is completely acceptable. It all comes back to the heart. What is your heart in asking? Philippians chapter one, verse six, God says, or Paul says, I'm confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Colossians 3.10, you have put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. I love that. I've put on Christ, but I am yet being renewed. I am clothed with Jesus, and I'm still being sanctified. This is the work of his grace. It is the process of learning how to trust in the Lord. So sometimes we gotta ask. And this is where we find Gideon. He is spirit covered here. And he begins to ask for a sign. Verse 36, watch this. Gideon said to God, if you will deliver Israel through me as you have spoken, behold, I will put a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there is dew on the fleece only and it is dry on all the ground, then I will know that you will deliver Israel through me as you have spoken. And it was so. So God responds, he does it. He doesn't say, I can't believe you're asking Gideon how faithless of you, okay. I guess if this is what you need. No, he just does it. And when he arose early the next morning and squeezed the fleece, he drained the water from the fleece, a bowl full of water. What a cool picture. By the way, the phrase fleece of wool, this is a wool shearing. So what this describes here, don't, don't think of an animal fur, okay? Like if you got a bearskin rug at home, don't think of that because you've got your fur on the top and then you've got the skin underneath that's thick and kind of part of the whole deal so you put it down there and you can imagine pouring water on top of that that it wouldn't seep through because you've got the whole skin. That's not what we're talking about here. A fleece of wool, this is a shearing. Have you ever sheared sheep? No one? Tom? Okay, I was thinking you guys have. So when you share the sheep, you get this hunk of wool. You get this mass of wool. There's no skin on it. It's just a bunch of wool. That's what he had. When he puts out the fleece, that's what he's putting out here, this porous bunch of fuzzy wool. The miraculous sign here is that the dew somehow gravitates just to the fleece, connects itself to the fleece, and soaks in, but doesn't go onto the ground underneath it. It's just in the fleece. Gideon picks it up and squeezes it, and there's a bowl full, or perhaps the word also can be basin. There's a basin full of water coming out of this fleece. Now, don't drink it because woolen water itself is typically bad. <laughs> but he squeezes this. So that's the first sign. It's like, wow, that's pretty impressive. Verse 39, continuing. Then Gideon said to God, do not let your anger burn against me, that I may speak yet once more. I, I love his approach here. This is interesting. He clearly doesn't want to come off as contentious. Well, show me another sign. That's not the attitude here. The attitude is, may I ask for one more thing? Can I? And again, I get this. I get this. 
Uh, the first year of our church fellowship, I think I was asking for confirmation once a week. 72 times the first week and then once a week every week after that. I mean, I, I kept going, Lord, Lord, I need a sign. I've told you all this one too. I'm sure that there was a Wednesday night. I was walking down to the barn. It was, it was cold. It was dark outside. I knew there wasn't gonna be very many people there. Maybe five, six, seven people would show up and I'm, and I'm praying and I'm like, Lord, I know you've shown me so many things. I, I, I know that this is your will. I could really use some encouragement tonight. I could really use a sign of some kind. Show me that, I, that I'm on the right track here. And I got into the barn and we worshiped together and, and we, I taught and I don't even remember what we were teaching that night. But by the end of the night, I was great. I was great. You ever, you ever in the, be in that place where you're just, you're looking for a confirmation and you go to church and by the time you walk out, you're like, okay, I'll do whatever God wants me to do. Just because the worship itself and the word gets in and soaks in and, and, and you're like the wool. Now you're full of the water of the Holy Spirit. And so you're like, yes, good, I'm fine. And so I felt like that at the very end of, of that Wednesday night. And then as I'm leaving, I completely had forgotten what I prayed, completely forgot all about it. And this couple hung around and they were the last two people there as I'm turning off the lights in the barn and this couple came up and, and the lady said, I don't normally do this, but I think I, I have a word from the Lord for you. I'm like, really? And again, totally spaced that I had asked for something earlier. Yeah, he said to tell you that he who began a good work in you will complete it until the final day. And immediately, I'm like, that's what I needed to hear. He who began a work will finish it. He's got it. That's, it's all about him. And I walked home that night praising God for the confirmation, praising God for a sign. So I get it. Gideon says, can I ask one more time? Can I just ask one more thing here? I just need to know. By the way, it's possible that the dew could have soaked into the surrounding ground while just staying on the wool. Maybe, maybe that's a possibility. Unlikely, but... You know, the dew fell everywhere, but then just kind of soaked in because it was warm that morning and there was still some left in the, in, in the wool. So he says, can I ask maybe for something a little more supernatural? And he goes on and says to God, verse 39, please let me make a test once more with the fleece. Let it now be dry only on the ground, or only on the fleece, only on the fleece. Let the fleece be dry and let there be dew on all the ground, God did so that night, for it was dry only on the fleece, and the dew was on all the ground. And this is unquestionably supernatural, especially based on the first sign where the fleece obviously soaked up the wool, or the wool, sorry, the wool, the fleece soaked up the water. It was obviously full of water, so it happened once. If there's dew everywhere, it's gonna be on the fleece again, right? Not unless God does something supernatural. The bedrock of the threshing floor is sparkling with dew and the fleece itself is bone dry. That goes against the natural water cycle. And that's, that's, that's impossible. And what happens here between Gideon and the Lord is not an ungodly confrontation. It is a godly confirmation for a man clothed with the Holy Spirit and with an unrestrained response to Gideon's fleece, number four in your notes, the Lord gives confidence. He gives confidence. Verse 40 again says, God did so. 
He doesn't condemn Gideon for faithlessness. He doesn't rebuke him for putting God to the test. I like how Davis puts it. He says, Gideon wants assurance. He's hesitant, but not unbelieving. It is not absence of faith, but the caution of faith we see here. I really like that. It's not absence of faith. It's the caution of faith. Wait a minute. Is faith cautious? It is. In a word, that's discernment. Discernment is cautious faith. Discernment is believing the Lord and yet being sure, testing all things. And I pray, Philippians 1.9, that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment, Paul says, so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ. God isn't encouraging faith through signs. Neither does he play games with us. Ooh, see if you can figure this one out. But in reality, God is giving confidence to this man who is simply wanting to be sure he is walking out the will of God. That's discernment. It is wisdom, brothers and sisters, to be sure you're walking out the word of God, to wait on the Lord. See, that's, that's the active waiting on the Lord we've talked about in times past. You actively wait. You are praying. You are waiting. You are watching. You are seeking confirmation because you want to follow the Lord. You want to do his will. One more thing here that you need to note when Gideon asks, when he, the fleece situation, because some say he already asked for a sign back in, cha, in verse 17, and now down at the end of the chapter, he's asking for more signs. Wasn't the one enough? It may have been enough for Gideon. But he's asking for a sign, and I think this is bigger than Gideon. In fact, probably for his whole entire army to know this is the will of God. Have you ever thought about this? There was number five, a company in attendance. Look at verse 35 in chapter six again. He sent messengers throughout Manasseh and they also were called together to follow him. He sent messengers to Asher, Zebulun, and Naphtali and they come up to meet with him. So it's those tribes plus the Aviezrites all together in total mass. We know this from the next chapter. 32,000 people are gathered to Gideon there when he asked for the sign of the fleece. Gideon is not the only one. There is an entire company and a good question to ask when you're seeking for a sign is this. Is the confirmation I'm seeking good for the company of believers? Is the confirmation good for the company? Is the confirmation good for my fellowship, for the church? A very good case can be made for Gideon wanting his fighting army to witness the dew and the fleece. Why? Because upon this rock, I will build my church, Jesus says. It's never just about you. It's never just about me. The work of Jesus is the building up of the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 12, Paul says, since you are zealous of spiritual gifts, seek to abound for the edification, the building up of the edifice of the church. Why am I seeking after a sign? Just to be tickled and thrilled? Or because I'm seeking what is best for the body of Christ? 
And I think it's marvelous, the thought that Gideon is there, both in verse 35 and also chapter seven, verse one, that says, then Jerubbabel, that is, uh, or Jerubbabel, that is Gideon, and all the people who were with him rose early in camp beside the spring of Herod. So he's got the whole company there when he asks for the signs, both of them, of the fleece, a company in attendance. The, the Lord won't fleece his flock nor will he send sheep into a den of wolves. He encourages, he reassures, he reinforces his sheep to fight. And I believe that's part of what's going on here as well. By the way, he's doing it right now. Encouraging, reinforcing, building up, reassuring his sheep, every one of us, for the fight. And when necessary, God will confirm things with signs, as he sees fit. You know what your job in, in this is not to go chasing after the signs, it's to keep your heart before the Lord. Check your heart. And as you're asking for confirmation of the will of God in your life, check your heart. Lord, is this your will? I need to know your will. And he will give signs as he sees fit. So very quickly here, I wanna give you five practical principles for discernment and signs. And I'm giving this to you more as a list. Five practical principles for followers of Jesus to discern, to seek signs rightly before the Lord, to seek confirmation. How do we go about this? Number one, before you put out the fleece, worship the Lord. Before you put out the fleece, worship the Lord. And brothers and sisters, again, I am talking about the heart, the heart of worshiping. If you look at what Gideon did in verses 17 through 20 or so, there's not a note sung. There's not an instrument plucked. But there is worship that takes place because worship is an issue of the heart, not of instrumentation, not even of the singing. Worship is of the heart. And before you seek confirmation, before you put out the fleece, before you petition, praise. Before you request, rejoice. Before you seek a sign, sing to the Lord. Worship the Lord. Remember that Gideon did this first. And I love this, Philippians 4, 4, rejoice in the Lord when? Always, always. And again, Paul says, I'll say, rejoice let your gentle spirit be made known to men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Note that worshiping and rejoicing comes before requesting. Re rejoice and then request. Praise and then pray. Let your worship be first. I have this thing I do. I'll just share this with y'all. Second service will not get this story, so... Oftentimes when I'm, when I'm driving over here on a Sunday morning, I, I kind of, I slide into the position, I position myself for what God wants to do today. And so even as I'm driving, I start to pray. And, and as, as I drive over here and pray, often I find myself confessing things. You know, I'll get in the car, maybe you do this too. You just start going, Lord, oh Lord. I did this, and, and can you forgive me for that? And I'm just really struggling with that. But, you know, and, I, and I find my, I'll do that, 
for about a minute. Normally I'll get down Quinn Drive and start out Cornet Bay and, and, and I'll all of a sudden realize, okay, wait, 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 wait. And I go right to the beginning of the Lord's Prayer. And I'm, I'm telling you, this is almost a weekly event with me. God's still working on this, this brain and this heart. I'll go to the Lord's Prayer and just say, my Father who's in heaven, holy is your name. And usually all the way, rest of the way on Cornet Bay, I will just worship, I will just praise him before I then get to the request. And then the request, and it's amazing how this works, then the request tends to be more about, would you be present with us today? Would you meet your people where they are? Would you minister to us, Father, as I know you desire to do? And, and myself is forgotten. So it's worship before request. Because when I worship the Lord, he sets my heart. My heart gets in the right place. It gets conditioned then to be in the right place to make petitions and requests. Praise first, then petition. Secondly, before you put out the fleece. So before you put out the fleece, worship the Lord. And you can worship by bringing him an offering. You can worship him in song. You can worship him by declaring his greatness. Worship the Lord and then make your request. Secondly, before you put out the fleece, Look to the word, look to the word. I don't have to ask him about morality issues. He's already declared them. Lord, is it okay if I go out and sleep with my girlfriend? First of all, as Pastor Rick, I don't have a girlfriend, I have a wife, so let's be clear on that one. <laughs> is it okay if I go sleep with my girlfriend? Well, he's already answered that. That's not a question you should ever have to ask the Lord. Well, is it okay if we just move in together? Again, he's already answered that. Is it okay if I live this particular lifestyle? Well, what does the Bible say? He's already answered that. I don't have to ask the Lord, should I love this brother? Well, the goal of our instruction is love. I don't have to ask the Lord, you know, if I should share the gospel with someone. Of course I should. Or assemble with the saints. You know, Lord, I don't know. Should I gather with other Christians? That's not a question you have to ask. He's already answered it. So much of what sometimes people will ask God or say, well, I'm praying about that. Before you put out the fleece, check the word. Is it in the word? Then he's already answered the question. Do that. It's very simple. I don't have to ask God if I should pursue holiness. It's already here. Psalm 119.105 says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path, which means it's directional. Isaiah 55.11, God says, so my word will be which goes forth from my mouth. It will not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. So he's already given answers. And it's wonderful, isn't it? How many how many questions and concerns and even personal life decisions just get answered when you go to church? Have you noticed that? Because I know for me, that happens all the time. I'll be struggling with some issue during the week. Come in here, we'll sit down together, we'll open up the word, and while you all think that I'm teaching you, I'm teaching me. And I walk out of here going, thank you, Lord, now I know what to do. Why? Because I discovered it right here. And all the asking and all the praying and all the wondering sometimes God just moves through the word even when we're not looking and he answers the question and off we go. Jesus said in John 16, these things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take courage. I've overcome the world. Listen to what Jesus said. These things I have spoken to you. So check the word before you put out the fleece. Number three, when you do put out the fleece, 
So now it's time for confirmation. When you do put out the fleece, don't limit the timing. Don't limit the timing. Lord, I'm gonna put out this fleece and I need an answer like by four o'clock. So let's get on it. Remember those who wait for the Lord will renew their strength. You wait on the Lord, active waiting, prayerful waiting, but don't put time limits on the Lord. Habakkuk chapter two, verse three, for the vision is yet for the appointed time. It hastens toward the goal. It will not fail. Though it tarries, wait for it. For it will certainly come, it will not delay. Number four, when you put out the fleece, don't limit the Lord. Don't limit the Lord. Ephesians chapter three, verse 20 says, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us. This is the Ahaz story. God says, ask me something big. Go big, Ahaz, anything you as high as the heaven, as deep as Sheol, ask me whatever you want. And Ahaz says, I won't ask. And God goes, all right. Then a virgin will be with child. That's big. That is, in fact, I, I would venture to say that that's bigger than any pregnancy has ever been. <laughs> big. Anyway, when you put out the fleece, don't limit the Lord. 1 Corinthians 2.9, just as it is written, things which I has not seen and ear is not heard, and which have not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him. Lord, I need confirmation in this. With the Bridge Fellowship, by the way, it was never, I need confirmation you know, that, that you're building a nice little 20-person church. No, I just need confirmation that you want us to do this, and what you do with it is gonna be beyond all that I can ask and imagine, and it has been, it has been. Don't limit the Lord. Number five, last one. This is important. When laying out the fleece, expect the dew. When laying out the fleece, expect the dew. What do you mean? Well, dew in the Bible is a, well, before even the Bible, what is dew? Dew is a life-giving water in the early dawn, right? It's a way that God waters the earth even without the rain. It's a, it's a beautiful way that he, that he provides the produce. It's life-giving, and so it is living water. Dew is a picture in the Bible of the Holy Spirit. And we see this time and time again. Proverbs 19, verse 12, the king's wrath is like the roaring of a lion, but his favor is like dew upon the grass. Or Hosea 14, verse five, I will be like dew to Israel. He will blossom like the lily and he will take root like the cedars of Lebanon. Why? Because the Lord says, I will be the dew. I will be the dew. We put out the fleece seeking confirmation. What the Lord is doing is saying, I want you to know me. I'll give you confirmation, but such that you know me, that you experience me, that I will soak in on you. It's never about the signs themselves. Understand that. It is always and only about the one who gives the confirmation, the giver of the sign. And so we look for, when the dew falls, we look for the fruit of the Spirit. How do you know the dew of the Lord is on a person's life? You see the fruit of the Spirit belongs to the Spirit, that he produces love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. To my mind, Holy Spirit living looks exactly like that. In fact, it doesn't get more practical than that. 
You wanna know that the Spirit is active in your life? You wanna know that you're walking in the Spirit? Then you're gonna see these nine varieties of spiritual fruit. He will change you. He will alter you. Maybe you're not the most loving person right now. Okay. Seek the dew. Expect the dew of the Lord. You will find yourself being more loving. Maybe you're kind of grumpy. You're going to find yourself more joyful. Maybe you stress and strive and worry and you're anxious. Expect the dew. You will find yourself at peace. And I could go through the whole list. That's another sermon. But back in Judges chapter six, verse 17, I remind you again of how this whole thing began. If now I have found favor in your sight, then show me a sign that it is you who speak with me. Show me a sign that it's you. God had just told him, go deliver Israel in the strength of your might. I'm sending you. Okay, I know what you want me to do, Gideon would say. My concern is, is this you? Eyes on the Lord, expecting the dew. If this is of the Lord, I'm all in. And Isaiah 26, verse 19, says your dead will live. Their corpses will rise. Does that sound familiar? Does that sound like a verse somewhere else in the Bible? That the, the dead in Christ will rise? Your dead will live, your, their corpses will rise. You who lie in the dust, awake and shout for joy, for your dew is as the dew of the dawn, and the earth will give birth to the departed spirits. That's a rapture prophecy. And by the way, it's followed by the next verse, also part of the rapture prophecy. Check this out, Isaiah 26, verse 20. Come, my people, enter into your rooms and close your doors behind you. Hide for a little while until indignation runs its course. Your dad will rise, and then we're gonna hide out during the tribulation. Brothers and sisters, there are signs all along the way. The signs are there to get us where we're going, but most importantly, they are there to get us to the one to whom we are going. And that's a right heart in following the Lord. Father, we thank you for your word to us this morning. And I pray, I don't know what's going on in, in my brother's lives, my sister's lives. I don't know what prayers remain unanswered, what questions they have. I don't know what directions they're seeking. But Father, I just pray, Holy Spirit, would you settle on all of us like the dew would you soak into us and help us to expect to know your will? Give us, Father, the, the ability simply to follow you and to trust you. The one who came in flesh is certainly the one who can speak to our hearts. And so I pray you'll set our hearts right before you in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. 